shitty. We're up now. Alright, so one gets a medium fry. I figured medium was big enough. Yeah, medium is plenty big. Alright. What uh, does a fry go for nowadays? Oh, anyways? fuck, man. It, for three fries, it was like 12 bucks. Jesus. But they're hand cut. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. Somebody was out there cranking the potato thing. We got this um, boxed Royale with cheese, or as they call it in America here, a quarter pounder with cheese. It's because of the metric system. Yeah. That's right. Don't use the metric system over in Europe, man. Why the fuck don't we use the metric system? <laughs> you know what really fucked me up? When we went to Puerto Rico, they measure speed in miles per hour, but distance in kilometers. What the, like, fuck? What the fuck? Exactly. Are you serious? How am I supposed to understand where this is coming from? That is a mixed right? up country right there. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. Alright guys, I'm getting the bag fries because I bought them. That's fair. Absolutely. That's fair, Dad. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I always pour my fries into the top of the box that the burger comes in. Convenient. It's convenient. My only problem with that, though, is what if there's schmutz from the burger inside the top? It's all the better, man, because oh, then you okay. smear that all over your fry. Well, I should grease, well, I should flavor. Oh, I, marrying flavors. I forgot the fucking mayo. Oh, oh man. Sorry, guys. Do you want me to go get mayo? I have mayo. Do we need? Well, who wants mayo for their for their fries? Uh, I really don't want to put mayo on yeah, my fries. I've, I'm just willing to do it for the cast. I was going to do it. For the have you have you guys tried mayo chup? Mayo what? what? Mayo chup, mayonnaise and ketchup mixed together. Oh, mm-hmm. well, isn't that what they do? Isn't on, that aioli? Uh, isn't that like the Big Mac like special sauce or something? No, that's Thousand Island dressing. Oh. Mm. This is yeah. uh like it comes in a you know a thing, and it's ketchup, it's mayonnaise together, mayo chup. It's fucking brilliant. Why haven't I done this? <laughs> I think the same thing with sriracha mayo, which is like mm. seven bucks a bottle, and I could make it for like three dollars and sell for seven. Nice to see they still put the sesame seeds on the bun. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect that. Where'd you get them? McDonald's, Big Kahuna Burger. These are a McDonald's quarter pounder. That is a tasty burger. Mmm. Mmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I can't usually get them. I kind of need something to uh, to wash down this delicious burger. I see you have frosty milkshakes in front of us. There's a. There's thanks to inflation a ten dollar thirty seven cent milkshake. In front of you. Wow. You put bourbon in that or anything? Mm-hmm. Put your bourbon in it. Nice. <laughs> that sounded dirty. Well. I got to know what a $10 milkshake tastes like. Well, you can have a set. That's pretty fucking good milkshake. Yeah. That is quenching my thirst. Yeah. Now, did I you know make that this, is point uh, ten thirty seven though. <sighs> did you make this Martin Lewis or uh, Amos and Andy? All right. <laughs> what in the fuck was that supposed to mean? I saw that and I was like, cool, cool. Right. They're going to explain it? Yeah. Nope. I had no fucking clue either. I looked it up a long time ago. So Martin Lewis is obviously Dave Martin and um, yeah. Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Comedy duo. Nice lady. Amos and Andy I'm less familiar with, but they are also a comedy duo. One is white, one is black. Mm-hmm. One comedy duo is white, one comedy duo is black. So the question means, do you want vanilla or chocolate? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. that doesn't age great. That's a really convoluted and stupid ass way of some old I watched boomer that movie to put that. For years right? and did not have any clue what that meant. Nope. And I, I remember looking it up years ago and being like, "Oh, I guess that makes sense." It's on brand for the restaurant, but yeah. like, does that restaurant actually exist somewhere in the world, or was that Tarantino's like? It was a soundstage. 
Mm. It's a soundstage. I read about a little bit of the the background on that, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't real. But it's a pretty cool looking place. I mean, they could franchise that shit out. Yeah. yeah. Open one of those around here in the below. I bet you'd clean up. I mm-hmm. would go there. Absolutely. You'd have to sell ten dollar milkshakes though, and you know. You would. Yeah. No. I mean, we haven't got to this part of the cash yet, but when you know Travolta in the beginning makes that loop, he mm. takes that like convoluted way before he gets into the table. Checks everybody out. The camera just follows him. Yeah. And uh, it's a really cool shot, and it's a you know just a beautiful scene. You got to force all your customers to do that when you bring them in. Then you got to walk them through the whole thing oh, to get right. to the table that was right next to him right. the whole time, mm-hmm. and then let them sit in a car. That was cool, too. Badass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Uma Thurman's going to be the one uh, sitting across from me. <laughs> After gotta, she does blow in the bathroom. <laughs> and you push your eyes back together. I still do, you know, a $10 milkshake for that then. Yeah. Buy it for her. Especially if uh, she wasn't my boss's wife. Wow. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's like one of those conversations in a movie that just keeps going on way too long and you yeah. don't know when it's going to stop because it just keeps fucking going. I especially like when a camera slowly circles around everybody and shoots over my shoulder. So, like, you know I'm in the conversation. Right. And I'm talking to somebody, one of you guys, but you can't really tell because mm. it's just my shoulder. Right. Not my whole head. Everyone has to get something in it, right? Like, everyone yep. has to have a word or a laugh or mm-hmm. something because you got to show that we're all together in some kind of, like, hijinks. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And somehow, literally every single thing that says becomes infinitely quotable over and over and over again. Every sentence spoken in the conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what's going to happen to this cast. Yeah. Boom! <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> All right. If you haven't caught on by now by our long, convoluted conversation, we're doing something different, dear listeners, this season. We are focusing on the man, the myth, the legend, Quentin Tarantino's uh Ten, nine films. Nine films, because his tenth is coming out later on down the line. Soon right? to be filmed. Who knows? It's the Star Trek one, right? Oh, <laughs> yes. We wish. He's going to work with J.J. Abrams, so there's going to be so many lens right. flares and so many random well, conversations <laughs> in the holodeck. This is why Tarantino is still nerdy. It's true. Yeah. Well, and we're going to geek out or nerd out about um, the film styles and his storytelling and the stories and, the, you know, the infinitely quotable lines, as we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hang in there, dear listener. You're in for something a little bit different. Uh, and we're going to start with Reservoir Dogs. If you haven't heard, we've already started imbibing, by the way. We've made milkshakes because, um, you know, Uma Thurman, after doing some blow in Pulp Fiction, gets uh, a milkshake. <laughs> and Adam's milkshake does bring the boys to the yard. Can't confirm. So. Yeah, brought to so, if you haven't listened in before, uh, I'm Adam. I'm Sean. And I'm Mike. And we are Nerds of the Old Republic. We talk about nerdy fiction, nerdy storytelling, uh, basically anything nerdy that we deem appropriate and cool. If you haven't listened to us before, stay here, but then go back to some of our back catalog. There's plenty to listen to. And speaking of back catalog, I wanted to give a big shout out to Matthew Fullerton. This guy, this fan, reached out was the only person who said, hey, you guys doing okay? Yeah, what the rest of you fucks doing? Honestly, (laughs) 4,100 downloads, probably 100 of them are Matthew. What about the other 4K? Thanks, Matt. Yeah, appreciate that, man. We appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, do appreciate that. I told you we were coming back. Here we are. Thanks for listening, dude. So, milkshake, real quick, because we always do a drink and some food that's themed to what we're talking about. Basically, all I took was vanilla ice cream, some milk, 
threw in a bunch of bourbon, threw in a bunch of peanut butter, hit slow blend, full stop. That's your that's your ten dollar milkshake. What kind of bourbon are we imbibing with this milkshake? Well, it was Mike's pick, and he did well. Uh, I brought a bullet bourbon, which is um, you know a, it's a decent budget bourbon, but mm-hmm. uh, I mostly just picked it because the name seemed appropriate for all the uh, you know gangster films and the violent uh, films that we'll be discussing. Bullet seemed to fit. Mm-hmm. I agree, and it's a good sipper too. Oh, if yeah. we weren't mixing it in milkshakes, correct? Yeah. Yep. I actually asked because I didn't want to offend if you meant it to be mixed in because it's a good it's a good sipper. Yeah, I, uh, I I always have a bottle of this or Elijah Craig or uh, you know several others that are uh, the decent budget bourbons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the background, we're eating our Royales with cheese. <laughs> so if you get that ASMR kind of lip smacking, chunking, whatever sounds, and which is the best kind of ASMR, right? Exactly. I love listening to people chew their food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't set off anything in my <laughs> in my like hatred part of my brain. If you're one of those people who is listening on a cell phone, you can change the levels a little bit, knock out the bottom levels, and bump up the top, and you shouldn't hear too much chewing. I'll try not. I'll try and uh, make it louder in post. Perfect. Yeah, I like yeah. to trigger people. That's my thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. If you've never listened, that's part of our our shtick is to trigger each other, uh, and then like <laughs> dog whistle you into listening more because you're angry at us. All right. We want we want hate listeners. We do well with hate listeners. I'll tell you that. Yeah, man. Seriously. So, I mean, there's no great transition from hate listening to Reservoir Dogs, but we're going to take the films chronologically. Do you want to, like, start? I'm sorry. Rick, Go ahead. Just to kind of, because we're kind of just ripping today. Mm-hmm. Should we maybe talk about the, the guy himself first a little bit and just sort of get into, the, like, sure. like, Tarantino, and then we'll break down the films from there? Sure. Absolutely. I, I figure this is a place where you guys can kind of take it from here because you're the, the film uh, buffs, as it were, of the three I of us. I prefer aficionado. Sure. I prefer connoisseur. Connoisseur. Yeah. All right. Okay. Please remember, uh, you know, which is which and, and use those terms when, when referring to us the rest of the show. Yeah. Sure. Fuck okay. <laughs> it. You're, you're both film Cicerones, if you want. Sure. Ooh, I do like Cicerones. All right. All right. So what do we know about Tarantino? Well, I mean, he's been active since when we were kids. So mm-hmm. I think what um, Reservoir Dogs is 91? 91 or 92, yeah. Yeah. So that was... I remember him being on the you know blockbuster radar when I was young, and of course not being old enough to be able to go and see his movies. But mm-hmm. people like raving about like this genius, this young filmmaker, right. and just his new way of seeing things. And Pulp Fiction completely like just broke the mold, and everyone like raved about that. Launched a lot of like copycats yes. and cultural references, as we've been saying. A lot of parodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um I didn't see either of those two movies, um, you know, when they were out and in theaters. I was too young, mm-hmm. but I was aware of Pulp Fiction because I remember, you know, the trailers were constantly on TV when that was in theaters. That was one of the big movies of the year. Um, obviously, everyone you know remembers the the, the two finger before the mm-hmm. eyes dance move. I remember seeing that in the commercials and people imitating that, having no idea um, what the fuck this whole thing's about. We got a lot to talk exactly. about there. Yeah. So it wasn't um, probably until the late nineties, uh, uh, and Pulp Fiction would have been the first one that I saw. And for me, it was one of those moments like that was just you know uh, eye opening. It was right. it was it was the type of thing where you realize you were seeing something that feels like it's meant for you almost like the artist you know had you in mind as an as a, as a in what they were doing yeah as the target audience um i just i loved pulp fiction saw it several more times 
um, saw Reservoir Dogs, and that became like the must-watch movie all through college. That mm. you know movie I probably saw half a dozen times right. while I was in college. I bought that on DVD at Media Play yeah. when mm. I was like a junior in high school because I just like had heard so much about it, and it completely again same thing. I was just that right. became like wow. I, this this speaks to me, and we'll get into all the why of of all of that. I didn't see Jackie Brown till you know probably later in college, um, which is the third of the movies we'll be talking about today. But mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, the guy is. Uh, I think not only did he create a sort of visual style that became much imitated mm-hmm. um, in in good ways, such as you know, I would argue that a guy like Edgar Wright you know, probably is inspired heavily by Tarantino and in less good, but still fun ways. Um, like a guy, Richie, for example, mm-hmm. he had some, mm-hmm. some of those yeah. British gangster films. Haven't um, heard his name in a while, <laughs> but it wasn't just the visual style. I think the more important thing that Tarantino did for film was, um, he made all film eligible to be discussed as serious art, not just, you know, not just like your Francis Ford Coppola films and, and the ones that everybody recognizes as the great films, um, but even like your Kung Fu movies and your black exploitation films and just all the trash that he was watching in, in the 70s that had been forgotten right. and that was maybe seen again as like late night like television on cable if you were up at three in the morning. And, and Tarantino made that shit cool again. Like that was hugely inspirational to him. He made that hugely a part of what he was doing in his own movies and now all this stuff that used to be considered b-movie schlock suddenly became eligible to be discussed as like serious cinema in its own way yeah well put man yeah so like you guys i didn't get to see it in theaters and i think i only saw it because for a brief period of like my late by it i mean reservoir dogs and pulp fiction like you i didn't see jackie brown until last week (laughs) so oh wow you know Thanks. Um, we had HBO for like maybe a year, maybe two. And, you know, at the, at the right time, like you said, they would play stuff. Um, I think sometimes they would play like Pulp Fiction, but the highly edited version. Mm-hmm. So I was always reading Samuel L. Jackson's lips to figure out what he was actually saying, which <laughs> turns out, spoiler, it's always motherfucker. I was about to say, it's almost always motherfucker. Yeah. So like, you know, there's that bad lip reading game where he's like... These mama flummin or whatever they would put on like TBS or whatever at like, you know, noon when they played on Saturdays. So I have a very like weird, almost like Mandela effect memory about it, especially Reservoir Dogs for some reason. I don't think I saw the ending of Reservoir Dogs until mid-adulthood, like mid-twenties, something Mm. like that. Um, Or at least the like unedited version of it. So... This was cool to go back and see, like, as they were made to be seen without TBS editing shit out. I had a very similar kind of now experience with going back and watching them. It's been a long time. I just sort of, like, the early Tarantino, I just filed it away and was like, yeah, I've seen it. You know, I was watching the newer stuff more. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, same thing. I just, like, I'm catching myself going, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Oh, that's what happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, you know, kind of like rediscovering, like, a book that you read. Right. A long time ago, and you're like, you forgot the, the moves, and then it's like, oh, I get it. But, like, when I teach uh, film stuff, I teach auteur theory, and one of the things I'm always struck with when I watch a Tarantino movie is it's it's very strong in that you know exactly that the author of this film is the director, and he's got a vision, and it's always, like, these certain 
notes that he follows in his films, which I'm sure we'll get into as we start breaking down his progression of movies here, mm-hmm. that are like, you know, immediately it's Tarantino. There's all these hallmarks for it. You know exactly how he deconstructs a plot in order to tell it in a different way than you're used to. And you know to expect the unexpected, right. essentially, when you get into one of his films. And I'm, I love that. That's one of the things that really brings me back to his movies all the time. Absolutely. And to add to the point you guys were making about rewatching, the only one that I had to rewatch and, and remember things and refresh was Reservoir Dogs. I watched that maybe too many times in college. So it had been a while since I watched it. And it had actually kind of, in my estimation, plummeted a bit. Hmm. Um, just because, you know, it, it wasn't fresh. Um, and as I was watching it, I was just remembering, uh, and we'll talk about all of it, but why it was such a great film in the first place. The other two, I, I did rewatch for the cast, but I didn't need to. I, I shamelessly watch Tarantino movies all the time when I'm the only one up in the house late at night. Pulp Fiction, and I can probably recite... 80% of it from memory. And we might Jack test Brown you on that. Quite yeah. a bit. <laughs> might, might pick some like rando yeah. quotes here. You know, at the end, we'll be Start like, Start queuing them up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got it was only 60% of the film he was able to recite. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know, man. We're going to have to really uh, reevaluate your membership here. <laughs> but um, it is a good segue, though, bringing up Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. I think that's... Yeah, do it. Let's get into it. So, I guess yeah. the overall plan, though, right, is we're going to break it down. Yeah, I think, you know, we're not going to go minute by minute, which is like some people's jam. I'm up for his, like, his filmography. Oh, like yeah. break it down, like... Uh, so I guess the plan, just so people know where we're going with this, he's got nine mm-hmm. current feature films, right? Yep. He does, um, but he considers Kill Bill 1 and 2 to be a single film. Correct. Uh, so he technically, I mean, the the way, in terms of the way they were released, he has 10 films already. Gotcha. Um, but we have uh, omitted Death Proof. Um, so we've, we've con- we're considering Kill Bill 1 and 2, two films. So we're going to do the three we've well, already mentioned. I think it's like from Dust Till Dawn. It's, he, he had a part in it. It's not his he film. Was a screenwriter, yeah. right? Absolutely. But like Grindhouse and Death Proof, that was a Robert Rodriguez joint too. So yeah. I, we think of it as it's not exactly a hundred percent. Absolutely. You know? And it was also meant to uh, all his films to some extent are an homage, but this one was the most direct. It was meant to be an homage yeah. uh, to those sort of like horror slash car movies of yeah. movies of the 70s so i mean it, we easily could talk about it but for time's sake mm-hmm. you know the next cast will be the kill bills and inglorious bastards and the final one will then be uh django unchained hateful eight and once upon a time so we're in the early phase the gangster movies basically That's right, right. Yes. early turns the heists yes the heists um which i didn't realize like I knew separately, like, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, sure, I remember the plot. I remember the plot of Pulp Fiction. And then Jackie Brown, like I said, had to watch for the first time. I didn't realize that he basically was, like, a heist storyteller Mm -hmm. for, what, probably 10 years, maybe? Yeah. When was Jackie Brown again? 97. 97. So, not quite, because we're going 92 to 97, so. I had forgotten that he actually adapted that screenplay from a, a novel. I didn't know that. I saw that in the credits. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't ever check Jackie up on Rum. that before. Yeah, yeah Rum Punch by yeah. Elmore Leonard. Good book. Hmm. Yep. Uh, also, the author of, um, uh, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting the name of the movie, but uh, it stars Travolta as um, like a gangster who gets into movie, movie, the movie business. Uh, you face off. No, no take his face off. Oh. Uh, oh, shoot, it's going to bug me that I can't remember the name of it. But it was a big movie, and it was also based on a book by the same author, uh, Elmore Leonard. Hmm. I'm looking now. So Reservoir Dogs, though, was his 
his home thing, right? Like that was get shorty. Yes, get shorty. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Reservoir Dog, he he conceived of the whole story, correct? I believe so. Yeah, I believe he's right. screenwriter yeah. and director, and also a small time a small actor in it. So he essentially went from being a video store clerk <laughs> to getting some screenwriting roles, and then someone gave him the keys to a big production with some pretty big names like Hi- right. Hi- Harvey mm-hmm. Keitel, right? Uh, Steve Buscemi, Steve Buscemi, yeah, uh, Michael Madsen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the video store thing is interesting because he actually currently does a podcast with another guy um, who I forget exactly what he does in film, but he does something in film and also worked with Tarantino at that video store. Oh, how cool! So they named the podcast after the video store, and what they've done is they've like reassembled um, basically the inventory that they had in that store, and each podcast episode is uh, like a double feature where they they take like two obscure videos that they used to watch or recommend to people in that video store, and then they talk about each one. That's pretty cool. I've listened to a few episodes. It's really interesting. It's certainly not Nerds of the Old Republic quality podcast. I mean, what is? But it's good. Look, you know, this this Tarantino guy sounds like a nice guy. And and QT, if you're listening, Hmm. I mean, if you want to like hook us up on your podcast and give us a shout out, we'll get we'll get the name of yours. We'll figure it out. We'll. might be a nice little boost for him. Yeah, and then we'll we'll put it in our next cast about him, and that way maybe we can uh, get a little recips on that, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, we've done some decent things for Snoop. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. A friend of the cast, yep. Snoop. We introduced Dog, him to Martha friend. Stewart. You know, I mean, that was mm-hmm. that was uh, that was a post jail though. Yeah. I didn't want to get Snoop wrapped up in that shit. No, no, he we've didn't. Had, we've had Bill Murray on the cast many times. I know. Yeah. He just refuses to talk. No, he never says it. anything, but he's been on the cast. We've enjoyed having him here, though. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I feel like that's boosted his, you know, sort of, uh, you know, awareness in the pop culture a little bit. Yeah. Benefited. He yep. might go places. <laughs> I just really wish he wouldn't stare disapprovingly at me the entire cast. It's kind of a thing he does, yeah. It is. And the Steve Zizou hat, like, really fucks with me when he's like 90 (laughs) out and he's got it, but he's staring at me. Jesus. Anyway, we'll we'll see what we can do for you, Quentin. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, like, so many things to... I feel like that's where this cast is going to be, just kind of, like, so many things as we go around. But, like, you know, you mentioned, like, certain things that you know is just Tarantino. You see that rotating shot around the table and, like... You should just know that's Quentin Tarantino right there within three seconds. That film, what I like so much about Reservoir Dogs as like a first experience with Tarantino and and that that film in particular is how backwards the whole thing is. It doesn't have the, you know, the three act sort of Mm -hmm. progression. It it takes you and puts you here and then it takes you back and then it takes you back to the, the future again. And it's like you're all over the place. But it all centers around what happens at that conversation, and you don't get anything for that right away. And it's just, mm-hmm. it really keeps the the watcher kind of fi- trying to figure out what the hell's going right. on. Like, what am I, yeah. what am I fucking watching here? Yeah. And that's what it's so brilliant about it. It's like you don't know. It just looks cool. It sounds cool. And then once you can put it all together, you go, holy shit, that's pretty fucking cool. I think that uh, at the time, one of the boldest decisions he made was he made a heist film. Without an actual heist, yes, we yeah. we literally see no part of it. The closest we come is the aftermath, when some of them are running away from the cops. Yeah, you know, Tarantino's sitting in the car as the driver, and he's been shot. Um, I, I absolutely love the inspired choice to have um, what's the actor's name? Is it Eli Roth? Right. Mm-hmm. 
you know he's been shot the whole time and you <clears throat> always have just assumed it's been by the cops and it yeah. turns out to be the lady whose car they, they tried to carjack yeah. like Worst pulls out that huge thing. pistol and like shoots him um, but you and never he's the cop <laughs> right right exactly yeah. and then he yeah exactly but it, you never actually see any part of the heist not at all and it's alluded to you know right. there's the part where they talk about Michael Madsen going crazy oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there's that great line where Michael Madsen's like if he hadn't done what I told him not to do then I wouldn't have had to shoot him <laughs> But then, you know, Harvey Keitel tells the story. He said he, they pulled the alarm, and he's just going, bam, 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 just shooting the hostages in the store. And So it's always referred to, but you never see it. You never see any part of the heist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you get Buscemi running, and he shoots some cops. He rounds mm-hmm. the corner and all that stuff. And it's that that's quick. That's pretty close, because you might see him right out the door, I think. Yeah, that's, that's possible, Maybe. actually. But that quick cross-cut thing, too, that he does, where it's like someone alludes to something or talks about it, and then they, bam, there it is. And it's just a moment of it, and then you're back again with the, the person narrating the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, that's a hallmark of his early style, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and, the, I mean, right from the opening scene, too. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the, the cir- uh, circular, or the camera that rotates and everything. And, and the whole thing is, you know, completely disconnected from the plot, which is random uh, at the time at least i think it's more normal now it's been normalized but at the time it's you know every everything every line of dialogue every action that happens has to serve the plot and create tension and drive it forward and instead we get like a 15 minute conversation about tipping waitresses you know what i mean right but and madonna and madonna yes exactly but what that also does is it creates you know, our understanding of who these characters are. Too. Right. I mean, it's their character personalities building. really come out. And even though these men are about to do something awful and then they're about to go through all these horrific circumstances, Tarantino's also created an atmosphere in which we can't help but like them. Right. Most of mm-hmm. them. You know what I mean? Like you you're kind of cheering for these people who are brutal murderers, most of them. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like he also subverts your expectations and who you think is going to make it out of this thing. Like, I don't think anyone picks Steve Buscemi nope. to be the guy to pick up the bag of diamonds and run the fuck out and, right. and be okay. And near the middle of the film. Yeah. It's not right. at the end. Right. At the end, we get the the dramatic, like, everyone's dead. Yeah. Right. And it's like, holy shit. Put your fucking gun down. We've been. Yeah. yeah like yeah. that. And he's the only one, too, that seems to talk sense throughout the whole thing. He's yeah. always talking mm-hmm. people down. He's always using the word professional. Are we, yeah. are we fucking professionals, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Buscemi. He's usually he's usually like the crackpot like weirdo dude, and this is a interesting Steve Buscemi role reversal sort of. Yeah, but like you said, Eli Roth being like that sort of almost like a dark horse in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He is just I forgot how good he is in that of playing that role, that double agent kind of thing. His backstory, which is another Tarantino hallmark when he goes and shows the backstory of a character and how they got wrapped yeah. up in what they're in where he's practicing telling that story yeah and everything over and over. Yep. i mean there's so much happening there both the, the acting is brilliant you know he starts telling the story like he's not sure he's reading from paper and by the end of it he's actually in the bar you know fully committed to the character right. almost as if he lived it but it's also you know there's a lot happening from a cinematog cinematographic <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in terms of the way it's shot, it's really interesting stylistically because you do get the cuts from the different parts where he's practicing and blah, blah, blah. But the most interesting part is when they actually cut into the story he's telling. So what you have is a flashback. Yes. A flashback that is 
like broken up into these sections of him learning and telling the story. And then within this broken up flashback, you get this fantasy sequence where he's standing in the bathroom and the cops are waiting for him. And of course that never really happened. Right. It's like a, almost like he took the plot as it existed on the, on like a a, a glass tablet and then shattered it Mm -hmm. and then started putting pieces back together until it looked cool, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that's, it's, it's brilliantly achieved. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Roth I, and Tarantino. You mentioned the cinematography too. And like, there's so many great scenes where it's um like, he does different things with the camera. Like when they're in that, that safe house and it's like, you expect him to like go and be present with the character who's talking. Cause it's important what he's saying, but no, he's in the hallway down the way. And you just see them in the distance talking to each other. I was right. thinking that's the yeah. um, Kaitel and Bashemi washing up moment. Yeah. He's down the, uh, the hallway. Yeah. I have a, that was my very first thing. Like, yeah, okay, this guy is really trying to figure out how to shoot this in a different way. This isn't, you know, some sort of, like, spaghetti western, right. you know, typical shoot-em-up sort of thing, which was cool. You expect a cut, like, cross-cuts back and forth between medium and close-up shots of them talking to each other. But no, we get the whole thing framed through a doorway and a hall, and you're at the other end of the hall. <clears throat> and it, it creates that sense of, like, isolation, like, that space they're in, and it just does something different. But like you said, you could see he's, like, he's trying it. Let's see how this works. In many know? ways, it's the anti-heist heist film. You know, it's yeah. it's like the polar opposite of Ocean's Eleven, which it obviously predates. But if you think of Ocean's Eleven as like the quintessential heist film, Reservoir Dogs is the opposite of all of that. Like instead of the the team being a bunch of like suave, <clears throat> charming people mm-hmm. who are truly expert at what they do, we get a sort of like group of bumbling crooks that want to knock over a jewel store and fail terribly at it. And instead of the actual heist being something that is focused on half the movie, we never actually see it. We just see the horrible aftermath. And, um, and then, you know, like the shots you're talking about, instead of all these people being framed so that they're at their most sexy and they fill Mm -hmm. the screen and seem super, you know, uh, larger than life, you get these interesting shots where they're like scrambling, covered in blood. They're at right. a distance, you know, that kind of thing. You also, as you mentioned the covered in blood. There's that cool penchant that uh, Tarantino has for classic 70s cars. Mm-hmm. And they're cruising around in, I don't know if it was a Riviera or whatever it was with the white leatherette white interior. interior that's yeah, covered like in the, the blood. blood. Oh, like, yeah. Just like the juxtaposition of that is, is like really startling when you mm-hmm. see it. Like there's just blood everywhere. And this guy's bleeding out like throughout the whole movie. Like why isn't he dead yet? And then he explains it. Kaitel right. tells him, like, it's a gut shot. It's going to hurt like hell, but it's, you're not going to die right away. You know, right. it's like, yeah. oh. There's a, I, I never made this connection until you said this just now. But in, in all three movies we're going to talk about tonight, somebody gets, like, shot in a car. Because obviously Pulp Fiction, they yeah. have to go to Quentin Tarantino's house and clean the car. Right. Uh, and then in Jackie Brown, uh, there's that great scene with Chris Tucker, which I have a lot to say about in mm-hmm. the Jackie Brown. Oh, yeah. Know. there's Is there that white Honda in all three movies, too? I don't know. There's like a Honda Civic that was in Jackie Brown and in Pulp Fiction. But I didn't know if it was in Reservoir Dogs. Now that I'm thinking I about know. it. I felt like they were bigger in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, like, like late '80s boat kind of cars. Yeah. What was it Sean? Not Sean Penn's brother. What the hell is his fucking name? He plays the one the the mastermind son. Oh, I oh, know his name, um, but I know the character you mean. I can look. I'm trying to think, because he just looks like that kind of guy that just drives like a Cadillac with big rims. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he wears like a tracksuit for yes. the movie. Don't point yeah. that gun at my dad. <laughs> yeah. Stop pointing that gun at my dad. <laughs> he lives in New Jersey. He's never left New Jersey. Exactly. Let's see who plays nice guy Eddie Cabot. That's it, nice guy Eddie. He just tried to fuck me, daddy. 
Don't try to fuck me in my dad's office. Oh my gosh, yeah. That I mean, there are definitely some things that did not age fantastically. Yeah. There were, you know, that's kinda, it, like, that's kinda Tarantino's whole thing though, is like he's you know, he's gonna say it. I think he's gonna say it. You could tell obviously we're gonna get into it too, but his like vociferous use of the N word uh, right. is yeah, one of those he, he, he addressed him, it head on, didn't he? Yeah, he's With like a lot of fun for that. Yeah, like for throughout sure. his entire career, right yeah. down to the present day. He does not apologize for it. You know, no. he's he's like these these are the words that would come out of my character's mouth in this context. You know, and and I I don't know if it's a popular opinion, but I I respect that. You know? I think Django Unchained was kind of his like right. See, yeah, you know, like there it is. Well, how yeah. are you not going to say that? exactly? Yeah. Uh, it is Chris Penn who plays Chris nice Penn. Guy That's it. Okay. All right. Yep. I like nice guy Eddie. I actually, I actually yeah. kind of like this character. I didn't mind him. I thought yeah. it was, it was all right. Well, he was a family that, man who yeah. was in the family business. Yeah, he's and... looking to take over. He's yeah. got that, uh, you know, that moment at the end where he actually he does some like nice acting where Harvey Keitel, you know, gives him the whole story. He tries to say like Michael Madsen, blame the whole thing on Michael right. Madsen or whatever, and uh, you know Eddie says, um, you know, this guy all he had to do was say my father's name and he would have walked. And so you're telling me now, after nine fucking years, now when we're making good on our commitment to him, now's the moment when he chooses to betray us. And it's like a really good, yeah. it's a really nice moment. You might actually have 90% of the, the film memorized at I least. Mean, I did say that. I don't know if I'm proud of that or not, but it's, okay. it's just a fact. Okay. <laughs> I did literally write down like, nice guy Joey's acting is literally, or nice guy uh, Eddie's acting is literally a scene stealer right there. Yeah. That was some of the best acting yeah. that happened. There were some good chops in that moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of like other standout stuff from the oh, film. Michael Madsen's got a whole bunch of them. Oh, dancing with the uh, stuck in the middle with yeah. you as he's cutting oh, the guy's yeah. ear off. Like, yeah. oh. I don't again. I don't really. I don't really care what you know or don't know, but I'm going to torture you anyway because it amuses me. Yeah. yeah. And the way he talks in that chilling, like quiet, low voice. <laughs> mm-hmm. When there's that point where him and Harvey Keitel are about to kill each other. Yeah. And Steve Buscemi comes between them and breaks it up, calms everything down. And then uh, uh, Michael Madsen goes, well, that got really tense. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm about to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. He's like that real, like, just like a wild card figure that was thrown in just to fuck everything up. Right. Like yeah. that's, that's kind of like his role in it. I'm just thinking about the uh, conversation at the beginning too, with Buscemi and the tipping and all that. Mm-hmm. And just like, again, it's one of, you mentioned it, it just kind of makes you like, yeah, yeah, he's got a point. Mm-hmm. I, I, right. I, I, don't, I don't believe in it. I don't well, I, like it. he says, you know, cause they're like, these, these waitresses make less than blah, 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 whatever. And, and, and he's like, you know, if you want me to sign a, a document that says that the government shouldn't steal their money and they should be paid fairly. Sign me up. It's not my fault that that happens. And you know, it's, you know, we're, we're all good people here, so we all tip. But you do listen to that, and you're like, oh, that, actually, some logic there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we shouldn't be subsidizing corporations right. so that they can not pay their workers. Right. Exactly. Same thing with like a virgin. I never thought about it being about the fact that she's banging a dude with a big dick <laughs> for the very first time. That's what it feels like. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There it is. Fantastic. My favorite, uh, or one of my favorite moments from that uh, scene, and it's it's one of my favorite gifts to use when I'm texting, is uh, I forget uh, which character at the table says something to rebut everything that Steve Buscemi has just said. Um, and he makes, I think it's Harvey Keitel, and he makes, yeah, a very, right. makes a very strong argument back, a counter argument. And then we get this close-up of Steve Buscemi. He's got his hand on his chin and his brow furrowed. Like, he, he's listening carefully, and he's actually thinking about all this. And then after a pause, he goes, 
Ah, fuck all that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, that feels pretty accurate to life. Often. Yeah. Mm. yeah absolutely. Yeah, fuck all that shit. Yeah. Super relatable. Like, that's yeah. probably what the, the hallmark of, again, a bizarre situation. Not the kind of people you want to be relatable with, but here you are, and yeah. you are, and yeah. you can't help it. What I always found, too, like, so much energy was spent building up the fact that these guys were picked for reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no matter what, like, you know, you had ties to the family or, you know, somebody got you a reference um, in the case of the cop, the double agent cop. But then they all fuck it up. Yeah. Right. They just all fuck it up, even though they're supposed to be like professionals, right. as Buscemi would say right. in this case. So I always found that really interesting and like really humanizing. Yeah. I like the two when they get their names from the... I can't think of the guy's name. The actor, he's a great character actor who plays the old man. Um, he's like giving them a, you're Mr. White, you're Mr. Green, you're Mr. Pink. Why do I got to be Mr. Pink? <laughs> like yeah, those, yeah. those moments of like, well, yeah, I'd probably be emasculated too if someone said I was Mr. That, Pink. That is great. It's a great scene. They all start having this like schoolyard argument about their names <laughs> yeah. and shit. I want to be Mr. Pink. be Mr. Purple. Yeah. Somebody else on another job <laughs> is Mr. Purple. <laughs> yeah. You're Mr. Pink. Uh, that, that guy is a yeah. great character actor. He's in yeah. uh, an episode um, of Star Trek The Next Generation yes. where they go into the holodeck and surprise, the holodeck malfunctions. And he's, uh, yeah. he's it's, it's one of those ones where Picard's like a uh, like a private eye. Yes. He plays a gangster. He All plays right. like the old gangster in that. And they have to, they, the way they get him to stop is they trick him into going out into the hallway of the Enterprise. Right. Where then he like vanishes. So. Yeah. Disappears. There's a reason why most modern uh, Star Trek ships don't have holodecks anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because they kept throwing you into random detective stories? Oh, because they kept trying to kill you. Hmm. Right. Yeah, and yeah. The, that, that was keeping the IT guys very busy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Did you get his name over there, by the way? No, I'm no. still looking, actually, and then I got distracted. Rich Turner played Sheriff Juan. So it would have been, like, Mr. Cabot, right? Yeah. Is it Frank Cabot? Is that his name? I don't know. Uh, I think it's Frank Cabot. Please with Orange. Joe Cabot, maybe? Oh, Joe Cabot? Okay. Well, they say at one of Joe's warehouses, yeah. Orange Rendezvous with Pink. You're right, it's Joe Cabot. Okay, so who played Joe Cabot? Sounds like the name of a detective novel. Movie character, Lawrence Tierney. Nice. Sounds like something the host should have had queued up already. Nah, this is horrific, man. Yeah, that dude's uh, that dude's just got that. He's got that pug face, right? Like, like I'm a gangster. It's, I, that's probably all he can play. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's typecast. Boxer Crabby for a while. Was, was he a boxer? No, but it sounds oh, like he, he can yeah, play a boxer yeah, when absolutely. he was younger. Agreed. Um, so, you know, to continue the point about like, you know, how that opening scene establishes these characters as, you know, sympathetic characters that you like. And yet, like, you know, Tarantino then challenges that throughout the film, even with, you know, the character we probably sympathize with the most, which would be, I I think, Harvey Keitel's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the most empathetic. I don't yeah, know. right. Like he seems like a good dude. Yeah. Like he's really concerned. He, he he'd rather go to jail taking this dude to the hospital right. than like leave him or or let him die. You know, all he seems like you know sort of the older, wiser gangster figure in the whole movie, right? But then there's these scenes where you actually see him, like the one where he comes out with both guns blazing yeah. and he shoots just both those cops, cops dead in the car. Yeah. And he yeah. doesn't even bat an eye. You know, it's just another day at the office. Yeah. You realize, like, oh shit, you know, dude, it actually is a cold blooded killer, too. Well, yeah, and at the end, after he finds out that uh, what's his name is a cop, right? 
He just blows one it. Of the most, just takes his head off. One of the yeah. most grim endings to any movie ever. Oh, everyone's dead, like except for Steve Buscemi. Buscemi gets yeah. away. <laughs> but it's uh, it's fascinating too the way he plays all that. Like the cop when he kills that civilian, and it's like you can see the look on Ellie Ross' face as right. he's doing it. It's like, oh man, he knows he's in way right. deeper than he ever signed up for, and like this yeah. everything. It's just everyone played their roles really well. It's raw. It's a rough kind of film when you think about it. It was mm-hmm. definitely not the budget that he would get in his later movies. No. But it got it got his name out there. It's got everything that he would become known for. Right. You know, it, it's it's all there. I mean, right down to like the the, the random like surf rock and soul music. Yeah, yeah that becomes a motif in you know, at least. Right. That's another thing Tarantino sort of I don't know if pioneered is the right word, but he definitely made the whole needle drop thing big. I, I'm yeah. way here tonight. I was I just put up a random playlist on Spotify in my car that was a Quentin Tarantino's like best music from his movies. There's not a bad track on there. Right. I mean, it just goes from old soul song to old surf rock song. There's just so much. There was a Johnny Cash song at one point. Yeah. You know, I'm sure James Gunn had to have like borrowed that idea from Tarantino just yeah. because like he did it first. Hey, if you enjoyed hearing us talk about Reservoir Dogs, get ready for Pulp Fiction. That's right, motherfuckers. We're talking about uh, Royales with cheese, Mm-mm. milkshakes, and uh, that cute waitress over there who's wearing the uh, Marilyn Monroe dress who unfortunately has to stand on top of the very uh, airy subway grate. Is that what it is? Oh, yeah. What is that? Anyways. Yeah, uh, next episode we're talking Pulp Fiction, and if you want to get uh, a little extra credit in because you're an overachiever, well, fuck you. But also, <laughs> uh, watch Jackie not Brown you, ahead of time. Yeah, not you, Matt. No, you're cool. Uh, but no, watch Jackie Brown ahead of time, take some notes. We've got a lot of things to say for that in our early If you want to do a little notes. outside research, the topic for discussion will be, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? <laughs> That's fantastic. Good job, Jules. Yeah, yeah. And also, are foot massages sensual or just nice? I think we all know the answer to that. I think we all do. You ever give a foot massage to a guy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See you next time, guys. See you next time. (laughs)